outfit lock. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe it. Marshall gets away, Marshall gets away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Day. Hello and welcome to yet another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle, although I do say that with some trepidation. I don't know if it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm feeling very buggered. Um, haven't had a lot of sleep. I ended up watching two full-length movies of Toy Story in the early hours this morning, which was unplanned. Didn't want that exactly to happen. Uh, but here we are. I'm in my 47th hour of consecutive consciousness. And uh, I'm joined by two other reprobates who have done this throughout the year well not really we've missed quite a few weeks definitely um but they, they nonetheless they normally do join me it's uh speedy watch barrio and xander risotto good day fellas evening thank you mate that was a very uh sort of 1930s cordial salutation barrio evening you almost sounded like you're a 1930s bobby copper i didn't want to um confuse you with too many words since apparently you know you're on autopilot apologies if i come out with something uh, sort of more blatantly racist than normal i, I have fellas we're right in the middle we're recording right in the middle of the the dally m ceremony now I, I don't normally get the privilege of turning on and and having a look at that at one stage the nrl have just got to put their heads together i think and come up with a way of presenting where everybody's in on it and it doesn't seem like an absolute car crash of an event. If you guys had a similar sort of um, reflection on tonight's ceremony or previous ones, it's like no one ever knows what the fuck is going on. I have to admit, I've never watched the second of Dally M's in my life. I'm not interested I didn't, in the ceremony. No, it was, um, it was somebody commented on, on how well-dressed uh, Joseph Suwali was and then they, someone else posted... Um, a uh, photo of Angus Crichton and his missus, um, and um, yeah, she, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, maybe I should watch this event. Yeah, he's doing well for himself from the photo I saw. He is mm. very well. And I got to say, fellas, I think I'm particularly impressed um, by the fact that Angus Crichton can land such an attractive missus when he only has nine fingers. Do you think he he would have got a, a hotter chick had he had the full set of ten? I, I suspect his eleventh finger might make up for it. You might be right there, Mario. Look, I, I, I'm in the uh, sort of three or four minutes worth of uh, Dally M ceremony that I've watched so far, one thing has struck me uh, because what they're doing, they go for every round and they go, these are the kind of contenders who played well during that round and therefore accrued points. And they're trying to sort of build a bit of tension. You don't know who's going to get it. Um, but I've noticed pretty much every package is a player carving up the Tigers. I, I kind of feel like this is just extra salt into the wound of every West Tigers fan, uh, probably their own fault for watching the Dally M's in the first place. But, you know, is it really a masterclass, say, for example, for Mitchell Moses when he's carving up the poor old Tigers? It, it's a little bit like um, witches' hats, right? I mean, it's, it's almost like watching players do a training run. So maybe it's, it's not a bad thing. It's like, this is what a player can do in ideal circumstances where nobody's trying to tackle them. And in that sense, it's kind of fair, right? My team didn't do a lot of coming up of anyone this season, so I'll take what I can get. Do you suspect anyone from the Seagulls this year, Mario, is going to land any gongs in the Dally M's? Do you have any hot tips? If there, I don't know if what all the awards are, but if there was a, a most improved player, I, I would su suggest Ruben Garrick might make the the final cut, but not not the winner. So no, there'll be no manly players getting mm. any sort of awards. Do you know what I'd love to do? Just hand out one award to the entire club and make it sort of very rainbow coloured and highly uh, LBGTQI plus themed, in the shape of a sort of fluorescent vagina. I think I think they'd probably more object to the fluorescent penis. The other part of the statue is a woman licking that one out. Again, still, <laughs> <laughs> they may not object. Uh, another section I just caught, it was quite sad, it was the in-memorial section or in-memoriam section, um, which I think they have every year and it's whoever's passed in the last 12 months. And it was very touching to see them sort of honour officially Kevin Walters' coaching career because um, it was very sad to see that pass away and in, and in very slow fashion as well, like um, someone ex sort of receiving advanced chemotherapy. Um, what are you guys doing to honour Kevy's career, guys? Not to take joy in the um, the failure of a former Queensland great, um, but I, I'm I've opened a nice bottle of champagne. Actually, wanted to make sure that I, I honoured Kev's incredible um, uh, success as a March premier. You know, what I'd like to see is um, yeah, Kevin giving the actual eulogy to his coaching career. 
and they should actually wheel out a box um, and probably have the pallbearers would probably be, you know, the people who sort of started the rot. Maybe the pallbearers could be, you know, um, Darius Boyd, Tabita Pangai Jr., uh, Anthony Milford, these types. Like you were saying, Mario, I kind of do question the validity of these kind of award ceremonies. I can't say I've tuned in too often. Um, and after the seven or eight minutes that I've watched tonight, I have cemented the reason why that is. They're not great to watch. Um, having said all of that, I do want to harangue you both for some predictions. I don't know if they, I assume the uh, answer hasn't come out yet. Who is going to win the award, which is the Dalian Player of the Year? Do you guys have predictions? I mean, I, I'm just I'm hoping it's Ben Hunt. I'm hoping it's not Nico Hines or Dylan Edwards, even though I've put out a couple of um, positive Dylan Edwards tweets this week, which made me feel a bit gross. Um, but I think that was quite enough positivity towards any Penrith, anything from me ever. So I'll go back to hating on them all and saying, go Ben Hunt. Yeah, Ben Hunt's got to be a big chance. And what about you, mate? So have you got any bolters or are you sort of on the Ben Hunt wagon? Oh, yeah, I mean, I didn't actually see the, the score um, before they, they stopped uh, publishing votes, but She's based on the amount of media attention he got until the uh, prelim final. I half expect uh, Latrell Mitchell to be a bolter. Um, the amount of columnage—I know—but the amount of column inches that were dedicated uh, in the lead up to the finals, in particular, I think um, every second article was about uh, Latrell being the heart of South Sydney. So I, th- I figure he must be doing all right on the votes. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I don't think I remember seeing him on the ladder there at all, Xander. But um, you know, interestingly, Teddy was in the mix, mate. So. For just sheer bias, um, you never know. He might be an outside chance because he did have a wonderful last month of the comp. Um, but he's probably he's probably going to be tailing the, the likes of uh, Nico Hines and Ben Hunt. It feels like it's those two for some reason, and maybe Dylan Edwards as an outside the, chance. But I think um, for Teddy, he's um, th- there was so much frothing over Joey Manu for a while that the judges would have given Manu points that Teddy might have mm. otherwise gotten. I reckon that'll end up costing him a few. Yeah, you could be right there, Mario. Look, uh, to move on from uh, the sort of sham award ceremony to some actual rugby league, uh, and when I say actual rugby league, I mean the controversy around it. Not really interested in you know the results uh, since the Roosters have been knocked out of the comp. Um, we'll get to the grand final in a sec. Obviously, it is a grand final uh, week. We haven't mentioned that at all because we're TVT, and why would you mention the actual news story in the room? Um, but I did notice there was some controversy this week, lads, about uh, some bantering going on between trainers and players, uh, notably uh, one of the Penrith trainers um, giving it to one of the South players about their back. Allegedly, I think there's been a you know a, a fair few different stories flying around, and Cody Walker got fired up, which is rare for him. He doesn't normally do that unless he's you know street fighting on a Saturday night like a kung fu fighter. Um, how do you guys feel about the concept of a trainer being able to sort of berate players. Let's assume it's true and the guy's just giving it to him and it's um, it seemed as though that Penrith might have a few players, a few trainers, I should say, that have done that in the past. But how do you guys feel about the idea of trainers berating players? Is it fair? Is it kosher? Or should it be rubbed out of the game? No, they, they shouldn't. <laughs> trainers shouldn't be speaking to, to opposition players. Um, that said... Uh, the last report of this I saw was that um, all the Penrith trainer um, <clears throat> said was to uh, all he did was make comments to, to Dylan Edwards as he was um, as he was helping him up after being uh, smashed over basically, and he wasn't addressing Walker at all. And apparently they have audio of it, and so Walker's just supposedly just blown up over nothing. Um, again, you know, not exactly not exactly out of out of the ordinary for for, for Walker who who. Does tend to have a pretty short fuse, especially when he's on the on the losing end. I think what this well, event, what this has proven is that Cody Walker is actually a Parramatta fan because that trainer, as I understand it, was the same trainer who made a dodgy stop the play call against Parramatta like last year or year before or whatever. Um, that you know allegedly cost Parramatta the game. So for Cody to be so fired up at this trainer over nothing suggests that he holds a grudge as a Parramatta fan. You might be right there, mate. But am I am I understanding this story correctly? I thought the supposed abuse was actually directed at Jed Cartwright and, and Walker sort of came to his aid and reacted on his behalf. I, I don't yeah. know that for sure. But that that, that um, was the that was the allegation, but yeah, it's been disproven. Yeah. Oh, it has? Okay, that's interesting. Because I didn't think that Penrith had released the full audio of that. 
Well, it, it turned out to be just the audio was actually just um, Nathan Cleary's TikTok dance. <laughs> may it may it forever live in infamy. The great the great dance. Uh, do you guys think I'm already having these thoughts because it does feel, and I should, you know, some touch some wood. Uh, hold on, put my hand down my pants uh, as I say this because. You know, it does feel as though we're exiting this COVID phase finally. Um, do you guys think in a couple of couple of years you're going to look back at incidents like that, uh, for example, the, the Nathan Cleary TikTok dance or the uh, the scandal that happened uh, with a couple of the boys on the motorbikes and the shotguns on the on the mid north coast, um, contravening these COVID policies? It's sort of seeming like it's otherworldly because it's it was bizarre because it came out of nowhere in the first place, and then once you have a few maybe normal years under the belt. I have a feeling we might look back at some of these chapters going, what was going on there? Like, it, it's so alien that, uh, you know, we could be talking about someone. Uh, and, and obviously, I was I was actually, you know, quite critical of Nathan on this occasion. He shouldn't have done what he did. But the idea of someone going, getting busted, you know, in his living room with two or three people just seems strange, doesn't it? It's, I mean, it's absolutely bonkers. You, you look in 20 years' time when you're telling kids or grandkids about it, like, you, you aim and telling your son about it in five, six years' time even, when he, he's just going to go, what the hell are you talking about? Like, even in that short amount of time, it's just not going to make sense to anyone who didn't live through it at least age, like, five, six, seven, you know, when that when mm. it happened. Otherwise, people are just – it's just not going to seem like reality. Yeah, and I, I have these distinct memories even just personally, you know, like where I'm meeting up with my parents and you couldn't go in groups of more than two and so we had to go if in spaced out groups of two with my, my I'd, I'd talk to my dad and my wife would talk to my mum because that, otherwise you could get prosecuted. And of course, this is in the early days where we didn't quite we didn't know as much about the transmission and all those kind of things. They they just they seem wacky in my head already, and we're we're still technically kind of just coming out of the COVID cloud. I have a feeling in a year or two it'll just be fucking outrageous. Well, last year, my daughter had her what would have been her eighth birthday party at our house and we had people queued up at the dry end of our long very long driveway in their cars and we ferried kids down only uh, we had two children visiting their property at a time and we gave them pony rides down to get down to our yard to play for 15 minute periods and then go home living a country life sander it sounds pretty exotic and fun doesn't it you get to do pony rides you get to construct your own amateur ferris wheels i mean i i do envy mario's life at times it's almost like being in the bottom eight <laughs> that's a low blow mate when i think i think between your two teams this season you <laughs> lost two finals games manly lost zero finals games so i feel that makes us the real winners that's a very interesting interesting way of looking at it um mario but uh, i i do i do uh, think it's worth noting that sides that play finals games do have to get a result one way or the other yeah but winning them is better than you know embarrassingly losing them getting flogged and but you know i mean imagine imagine getting bundled out of finals by a team that only won one game all season how does how does that happen? I'm I'm very confused. Poor old. Like I'm still trying to work that one out, but I do I do think as finishing top of the table, we probably should have been given a second bite of the the cherry. But alas, uh, the WNRL is not yet that far progressed. I'm sorry, but you're too old to be biting those girls' cherries. <laughs> not not all of them, mate. Not all of them. Well, a few of them might be older than us, actually. But... Well, before we drift too far into Jimmy Savile territory, I do want to just get us back very quickly to uh, uh, to that controversy about um, trainers berating players, because I actually have a little bit of a counter view to you guys um, in that I wouldn't mind seeing it happen uh, so long as we're really upfront and transparent about the rules and, and how a trainer is able uh, to, I guess, qualify. Um, to hurl abuse at players. So, for example, I assume Ronnie Palmer's still alive. I hope he is. Good man. Great moustache. Um, I reckon if Ronnie Palmer, for example, went, you know what, I want to give it to fucking Nathan Cleary this week. I want to just, you know, say all sorts of horrible shit about his chin and where it's been. Um, I suspect that that should be okay so long as Ronnie, for example, takes the opening hit up from the kickoff. Right and risk something. He's got to. You can't just ante up with nothing. You've got to put something in the pot, right? So if he puts his body on the line at the age of seventy-seven or whatever he is, and he survives that opening hit up, I say he has carte blanche 
to say whatever the fuck he wants, even if it's defamatory. Look, I think if we're going to go down the road of schoolyard bullying on the footy field, then I think it's only fair we get some proper schoolyard bullying in. And the trainers, if they get, if one of the players gets too close to the opposition trainers, I think there should be wedgies, there should be noogies, maybe some pink bellies. You know, I think let's get mm. them all happening. Let's, that'd be really fun for the viewers. I agree with you there. And I would have said Chinese burn, but I have a feeling that's an oldie-worldie term now that's now considered racist. And Xander, you might be um, onto this because I know you, you're, you're sort of hanging around with the woke brigade a little bit. Uh, what has been the rebrand for a Chinese burn? I believe it's called a, a Russian wet willy now. That must hurt uh, with all the ferocity of a nuke. Because, you know, that's what he's been saber-rattling again this week. I like the, you know, it's evil enough when he comes out and says, I'm not, I'm not bluffing with that very austere face. Uh, but then 24 hours later, for him to hold a news conference and say, no, really, I'm not bluffing. That, that, that one's even, that's much scarier when he does it the second time. Yeah, I know. It, and it gets, um, it, gets, uh, it gets scarier every time he says he's not bluffing. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually funny. Apparently, um. Apparently, the uh, apparently the Russians used to have a um, uh, a saying about the Chinese because there was obviously for a long period of time there was um, tensions between the Soviet uh, Union and the the Chinese Communist Party um, during the Cold War, and uh, they'd have these sort of border issues, and um, they'd be the they'd always be issued a final warning uh, by Beijing, and so the Russians used to say that. Um, uh, a final warning from Beijing is the uh, is the start of negotiations. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, that that's certainly one way to negotiate. Do um, you know what I always knew? I always suspected that this rugby league podcast would eventually go to the uh, Sino-Russian relationship <laughs> in geopolitics. It was inevitable. It was always going there. Look, I've got a newsflash, guys. I'm watching the Dally M's. Uh, the award for most inflated ego is gone to Braith and Asta, hands down. So congratulations, Braith, on that. Um, guys, seeing it is grand final week, we probably should talk about the grand final. Um, look, I, for one, if the Roosters could be in there, I'm going to say something that seems mildly controversial for a man born and bred in the eastern suburbs. But I'm happy that it's this battle of the, of the West. It's never happened before. We've never had the Penrith Panthers take on the Eels in a grand final. Um, you know, and, and we talk about the, the rivalry that exists between the Bunnies and the Roosters. And I, I agree and I, certainly that it's the most caustic rivalry. And we genuinely want to, you know, beat each other to the point where we want to whack each other over the head with a spanner, which is, seems a bit illegal. Uh, less like rugby league, but certainly the beef is there. But I don't think we should underestimate or discount, uh, you know, the Parramatta-Penrith rivalry and that battle for supremacy in Western Sydney, which is, you know, obviously a, um, a burgeoning area for rugby league. There's more and more people piling into that region of the world and loving rugby league, and that's a great thing. Um, I actually think this is great for the game. How do you guys see that from an NRL point of view before we get into who we think is going to win? Yeah, well, I mean, I can jump in, but I I agree with you, actually. I think it's really great for the game. Um, those two sides have developed just incredibly strong foundations over their, last, you know, over their histories, um, and they are areas of growth for the city and and therefore for the game as well. That's where most of the the, the players and the juniors come from. Um, I saw somebody commented online a while ago that um, you know after the the prelim final that South like to talk about um, juniors development and uh, you know and an engagement with the the, the sort of um, uh, the working class communities uh, of Sydney, but. It's Penrith who actually live those values, and they're the ones that that actually have that demographic and that development system in full swing. Um, and I think that's quite accurate, to be honest. They are they are a real heartland for the game, and they are a real a real nursery for talent. Um, and mm. Parramatta is not far behind them. Yeah, and and what about the actual rivalry itself, Sander? Do you think that's real? Because from my point of view, uh, yeah, when defi- I see these definitely two teams- is. They, yeah, hundred percent, right? They they don't like each other, and and it's it's only gotten more fierce over time, particularly over the past few years. Um, there's been a lot of spice added to it as well, just because they've they've uh, been at each other in finals as well, and obviously last year in particular with um, the the controversial nature with which the the their match ended in the finals. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely a bit of score settling going on for for Parramatta, I think. Uh, just in, fellas, um, this is all live. Nico yeah. Hines has been awarded the Dallium Medal for the Player of the Year. Uh, may his legacy be stronger than his namesake, Heath Ledger, 
um, and his career lasts longer than the time he OD'd when he played the Joker. Uh, Mario, but back to the rugby league issue at hand. Uh, how do you see this rivalry out west? Um, a, do you think it's real? B, do you think it's healthy? And C, who's going to win the grand final this week? I think it's real. Penrith's going to do the quintuple of all four grades, unfortunately. Um, but I think the the more important question is, if it is real, then what is it called? You guys have the book of feuds, but Penrith and Parramatta can't have the book of feuds because most of their fans can't read. No, no, no. Well, that's like- you're, you're mistaken, Mario. The book of feuds isn't just uh, South versus East. That is South versus everybody. Um, so if you actually look at Russell Crowe's, um, you know, digital book of feuds, it's basically every beef they have with everybody in the league. And it, and it includes every single team. It's every time that a perceived slight has uh, been made against South Sydney by anybody um, and what colour jersey they were wearing, which is why there seems to be a story every week that South Sydney are in the competition uh, about them being upset about some perceived insult. Well, there you go. You do learn something every day. But my question still stands. Mm. Uh, what what do we well, what do we name this rivalry? Is it the is it the the Wunga Blake Cup every year? I think that seems only fair as being you know perhaps the greatest player to ever play for both teams. Well, I like where your head's at, Mario. That the cup could be made out of sheer soap, just in homage of the great man. Um, look, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, Mario, but certainly I would like to see uh, whatever this feud is fought out regularly in a Westfield food court somewhere uh, west. Um, I feel that is symbolic of the region. If it's in the food court, call it the Book of Foods. And we could hold the ceremony in a Lowe's store somewhere, and maybe Paul Sirenin could be the MC. I mean, it it kind of writes itself. I mean, if we knew any Penrith or Parramatta fans, we'd probably ask them. But obviously, you know, uh, being from the North Shore and the East, we try not to associate with them too closely. I can sort Uh, of remember the ad campaign uh, from the 2003 grand final where they were Oh, it wasn't the ad campaign. It was it was Matty Johns's um, uh, line about it. We referred to it as Cafe Latte versus Nescafe. Um, you know, Not I think Nescafe, Nescafe Cup might might suit it. Just just given the demographics. That's bad. Yeah, I quite like that. Zan. Blend forty three cup. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm a complicated individual, fellas, because I uh, can be quite a coffee snob when it comes to my cafe coffee, and obviously that's my preference. But I'm one of these guys that can also oscillate between the good stuff and the freeze dried, um, because I don't think I'm ever going to get away from my humble roots, uh, which is essentially the serving of gruel three times a day, interspliced uh, with the odd ice cream, which was a Bosca, um, and obviously. My beverage of choice was, um, I don't think we even could afford Nescafe. I think it was <laughs> it was the no-frills version, uh, which I think turned out to just be white people's dandruff. Probably tasted better. Still tasted on my tongue as we speak. Um, look, this is a, a major digression because we've got no agenda, obviously. Um, before we keep chatting about the grand final and who we think are going to be good performers, I noticed another story during the week, lads. Craig Gower. Now, you're probably familiar with this, talking about Dally M's that uh, in 2003, I believe it was, when Penrith won the comp, Craig was on track to claim the Dally M medal that year until there was a, a player's strike and a dispute and everyone decided to boycott the Dally M ceremony. Now, all these years later, uh, Craig, who at the time said, you know, we put principles ahead of awards, has decided, I actually want that award now. Um, so there has been a bit of an approach um, to the NRL to retrospectively give Craig Gower that award. Uh, Graham Annesley was pretty quick to say, no, you're not getting it, Craig. And that that upset Craig. You went on one of the radio stations this week and said it was a load of shit. So clearly he does want it. Um, I guess my question to you is, should Craig Gower be retrospectively awarded the Dally M? I think he 100% should, but it should be for services to golf tournaments rather than to what he achieved in the field. <laughs> Do you think he should only get it if he can maybe hold a butter knife to the throat of Mitchell Pierce again. I think he needs to completely recreate it, but perhaps with modern, with you know, with a modern player that would be appropriate. And, you know, in terms of overrated frauds who don't belong at origin level because they keep failing at origin level, I think it's only fair. <laughs> Cleary. Do you know what I love? I love the fact that, you know, when you, at the time, everyone thought, wow, what a disgrace, you know, he's, 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 he's threatened Mitchell Pearce and he's vomited on him and he's threatened him with a knife. And all these years later, who knew that Craig was in the right? 
Absolutely, he was. He would have saved us a lot of pain, wouldn't he, Xander? He would have saved us a decade's worth of not getting past a prelim. I, I, I support I support the decision in all honesty. Um, I just think they should they should attach a very silly title to it. Uh, not sure exactly what they should uh, what they should put to it, but um, I don't know. Um, it, it should have Clayton's in the award somewhere. I think at least um, just to, just to clarify the position. Because you know we all hold the sort of general view. I think I can speak for all of us here where we think that you know awards can be a little bit arbitrary. I don't think we spend a lot of time talking about them, except for this podcast. Fuck, I'm obsessed. Uh, I haven't talked about anything else. Um, and so it does seem weird that uh, we would even care about an award 20 years ago when really we didn't really care about an award last year. Uh, remember when Jack Whiten was given the Dally M, even though he was about the sort of 41st best player in the competition? I mean, that's how ridiculous it is. And Mario obviously shits on the system any opportunity he gets, but rightly so. It's a shit system. Big shout out to David Hunter. He came up with his own system. It was fucking complicated. It was like an advanced game of Tetris. Um, but I appreciated his thoughts and I think there was some validity in it. Do we think that, you know, given it was 20 years old and it was arbitrary anyway, Craig Gower's sort of off his rocker on this? I could give it to him. We don't care about the award anyway. So let him have it. Yeah, as long as they, as long as they, they, they make, you know, they, they host the award in something just as low key and, um, and, and, and poorly publicized as the actual Daly M's that we have every year. You know, I mean, I think it's completely fine because no one will notice. Just a quick digression. Ted Bundy, do you think he was misunderstood? It's just a reference to the new the new Netflix series. I think that was the Jeffrey Dahmer one, wasn't it? Oh, Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. Jeffrey... yeah. 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 Don't, don't, right. mix, don't mix your serial killers up, mate. Very distinct. Sorry, Sorry mate. Very, very rude of me. <laughs> don't offend them, mate. Ted Even though, you know, one of, them, one of them's passed. If you talk about Ted Bundy, I prefer Al Bundy. <laughs> I think one was more of a crime against humanity than the other, actually. But uh, on Jeffrey Dahmer's head, I don't know if you, how much you know about his crimes. And um, everyone at home, you're going to have to grit your teeth and learn a little bit more about this horrible serial killer. We've gone from because, geopolitics you know, to he, Jeffrey Dahmer for some reason. This, this is the greatest regular league podcast of all time. Yeah. It's, what, it's pos- what position everyone, would Jeffrey Dahmer have played, do you think? He liked to attack the hooker region. <laughs> so potentially around, somewhere around the ruck mate I think um, you know but this is the funny thing well not funny haha obviously just weird that um, even among serial killers Jeffrey Dahmer is generally regarded to be one of the weirdest and fucking out there of the lot and I often think that in his life where apparently you know he had a when they actually arrested him and they went into his house there were things like fish tanks with human parts in it and like bits of rotting man and things like that. Do you think even him in his fucked up state was sitting around watching television one time and has a look around his living room and goes, I've got bits of man rotting in fish tanks. I'm fucking weird. But do you think he ever had that sobering thought? I mean, I know they're psychopaths. I understand that part. But even among psychopaths, I reckon he must have had the odd glimpse where he went, what am I doing? You mean sort of like that scene from um, a bit of Mitchell and Webb, if you know the one I'm referring to, where um, it's basically flashing to a uh, trench in World War II with the Nazis, and one of them pops up and just has a look around at all the people in his troop and notices all the skulls and crossbones on everything, and then says, "Hey, are we the bad guys?" <laughs> I do remember that sketch. <laughs> one of the great sketches that is. So it's an interesting question you ask, Gaiman, because. I've wondered that about Cameron Smith every time I ever used to watch him play. Every time he was just, you know, <laughs> elbowing somebody, kneeing somebody, just doing some sort of dodgy wrestling move. At any point, did he ever think to himself, maybe I'm the bad guy? Look, I, I feel as ever a moment, it would have been arguing whether or not the McKinnon tackle was a penalty. I think <laughs> yeah. that would have been the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he got... got- to the the sheds afterwards and just thought I need I need to uh, to reassess my values. Um, I mean, mind you, the the, the the evidence afterwards suggests not, but but still, yeah, he went there's, home. There's images of him. Uh, sorry, yeah. Gaffer Barrier. So he went home and swam in his river of money, you know, from his seventeen contracts. <laughs> so essentially, you've got this image of Cameron Smith as though he's Scrooge McDuck. Yes, but but yeah. with less heart than Scrooge McDuck, which is saying something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's almost an image in my mind. I'm sure I've exaggerated it 
uh, over time, but of McKinnon being like helicoptered off the field and in the foreground, Cameron Smith still arguing the toss over whether or not he was above the horizontal. Um, it was it was a pretty outrageous optics scene, wasn't it? It was, it was yeah. But burns into a lot of memories, I think. I tell you what, this is a dour podcast so far. Let's go to brighter things. We'll go well, from let's, Dharma. Let's um, um, start a new Zoom because this one's about to end. Well, guys, uh, very quickly, um, Xander just pointed something out in our production meeting, which we never had, um, that uh, the Delhi M Awards have just given out an award uh, to a, a, a female rugby league player um, for essentially um, being diagnosed with cancer. Uh, do we think that's an odd award category? Yeah. No, I, I think it's I think it's worthwhile. You know, I think they should include it um, in every major sporting event. I don't know how prestigious these award, awards are. I don't think anyone's going out of their way to get it. But I don't know. Essentially, if you can award someone for getting a disease they had no control over getting. Yeah, so it was the overcoming adversity thing, right? But uh, yeah, it's an it's an interesting one. Like I, I kind of get it, but I, it's it almost feels like they were just looking for categories. I think we should um, add more categories. Let's go an award for the most grotesque on-field injury for whoever, you know, snapped their ACL in the most places perhaps. Or, you know, mm. when you see someone's shoulder just completely, you know, coming out of their ass because it's just been that dislocated, I think that's deservance of an award. Or, you know, the most ruptured testicles in a season for a team. Mm. I can tell you, Mario, that would get me watching. That would. Who, who did win the last the last award for most ruptured, ruptured testicles in a season? Just out of curiosity, do we have that on on hand? Brett Kamali, mate, it was Brett Kamali? The Cowboys might have got the only one this year. So we're from with Tom Dearden, wasn't it? So I did hear about are that. Leading that cat. Oh, just yeah. It's the you nasty. know the worst part about it, Xander, is um, not the fact that obviously he had a ruptured testicle, which is very painful, but he insisted his clubmates would sign his cast. <laughs> which I thought was a bit grubby, and he's continued to get people to sign it, even though he's healed now. So I think it's actually a form of sex crime, but we won't the go there. Need, it needs to be made out of some sort of an elastic, wouldn't it, so it can, you know, expand and contract? One might say, <laughs> yes. You might be right there, mate. Um, I liked Mario's little venture there with new categories. We are a bit of an ideas fest here at TVT. So, uh, Xander, I'm going to throw that open to you in a second, but what about um, the award for least fit player? which, of course, you know, would be called the Hutchison Award, I assume. Um, the only man to get puffed running out of the tunnel. Big shout-out to Hutch. Did you not watch Latrell on the weekend? But, mate, at least Latrell's doing things. Poor old Hutch. Can't he wasn't on the weekend. The line. He's not always doing great things, uh, but he's doing stuff. Uh, whereas I poor love, old Hutch can't, Latrell. actually. I love Latrell, but that was not fun. It was As someone who really does like Latrell, unlike you two, that wasn't fun to watch. He was just... Apparently he's got a cracked rib or a couple of cracked ribs or something. So probably. No, I mean I, I actually like like Latrell as well. I just uh, I like to give him a bit of stick just because. Well, you know he he plays for South now, um, but yeah he did he did seem to you know it seems like he's. Um, I I wonder how long he's been carrying it for. They said because I I swear he's he's had a few games where he's almost been avoiding contact for over the past month. Mm, well, it could be the chip on his shoulder. I, I did want to um, actually raise something because I did uh, 30 seconds worth of research while we did the first Zoom meeting into the second one. And I don't know if anyone's heard about this yet, but Roger Tuivasa-Sheck has been linked to a NRL yeah, return. I know what I you're thinking. That. That's every that's every nine hours. I know that someone writes a story about that. But it's, it's newsworthy this time, Xander, because the club is the Roosters. Um, now, hypothetically, let's assume it's true. Would you like to see Roger return to Bondi Junction? I don't see it as likely because I just, you know, he's just played his first test for the All Blacks and they've got the Rugby World Cup next year. So I just don't see how he went over ostensibly to play for the All Blacks in the World Cup. So, you know, how does that work? You're, um, really, you're really ruining my hypothetical here. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'd be curious to think, see where they're going to play him, right? Because, I mean, he played on the wing for us early in his career and that's probably where, you know, I mean, would we play him on the wing or would we try and play him in the centres, which I think is where um, they've been playing him in, in rugby, if, if I'm not mistaken, because he's not yeah. really got a, the kicking game for a fullback in Union. Um, yeah. I mean, if, look, if based on the current squad, he wouldn't be... In, uh, for me, he wouldn't be on. He wouldn't make the wing or fullback. That's um, yeah. brutal. He, but, he'd, he'd, uh, be a, he'd be players. a heck of a centre, though. Actually, like if you yeah, could, he'd be a great centre. Yeah, like you know, very powerful. Um, mm. You know, 
incredibly good defender, very strong uh, running, you know, incredibly elusive. Um, yeah, he and that's the, the area where the Roosters are absolutely the weakest. There's outside of Manu, you know, like there's just not much coverage there. Manu's, Manu's fantastic, but he doesn't get much help. Well, as uh, Xander shitting on Hutch's head, Mario, um, <laughs> you probably get a little bit bored about um, hearing about the Roosters recruiting international stars. But A, do you think there's any validity to this story? And B, if there is, where do you think he should play? There's as much validity to this story as there is of Suali going over to rugby for $12 million or whatever the laughable figure that was being bandied about. It's all a load of crap. But in theory, there's just it couldn't be the Roosters because there's simply nowhere to put him. There's no way he comes back to rugby league to play centre. It's just absolutely no way. If he comes back, he's fullback. There's just there's no other option. Can I can I suggest a precedent here? Uh, what about Mr. Valentine Holmes? Um, you know, obviously, um, he always wants to play fullback. Always felt that the winger was below his station. Went off to NFL for a little while to sort of lukewarm acclaim uh, until all the wheels came off. Came back with his tail between his legs, and uh, it's taken a season or so, but he is starting to carve in the sort of centre wing position for the Cowboys. Absolutely, but you're not. He wasn't brought to Townsville to play centre. He was brought there to play fullback, and it just didn't quite work out. And it turns out he's now carving at centre. You're mm. not bringing two of us a check back on the sort of coin he's going to command to play him at left centre. He might he might end up there at some team, but I just can't see him going coming back to us just to play there. Yeah, not when there's all the All Blacks when he's already. Achieve plenty with the Kiwis. Yeah, fair call. I kind of agree with that, actually. Um, I did notice as well, I know we shouldn't, um, you know, bait Tigers fans of this, but I I noticed there was some word that uh, the Tigers aren't only chasing the signature of, of Cam Munster, uh, but they're chasing the double package of Munster and Moses. Are we starting to drift into the territory here with the Tigers of the Make-A-Wish kid? Look, I kind of feel like it's, as they get more desperate, um, their wishes become more fanciful, Xander. I don't know if you agree with me on that or not. Sorry, we just realised I was on mute. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, look, to be honest, uh, at a certain point, aside, you know, really just has to start making wishes and hoping one of them comes true. And I think that the Tigers is probably the, the, the phase of that. I think I would like actually to see a couple of really big marquee players go to the Tigers just to see what that would do to their chances because they've they've been linked with a lot of big names. I mean, Latrell was linked uh, with them. Um, I somehow suspect his, his, his um, career at fullback wouldn't have been as strong as it has been at Souths um, in spite of the the performance over the weekend, you know, he's, he's been incredible for them. Um, I, I think that's a peculiarity of, of the, the system there. So I, there are certain players that um, will fr- thrive anywhere, but there are certain players who uh, really need the right kind of environment. And I would like to see some, one of those, one of those players who brings culture like that with them, a couple of them go to West to help them out because they, yeah, uh, they are, they are at a really important club in the league in terms of the, the demographic that they represent over two regions. And, um, yeah, it's a little bit sad where, they, where they've ended up. I, I hear what you're saying, Xander, but Mario, surely the only way that's going to happen to get these marquee players over there is some kind of prisoner swap. Like, I, I assume that it's not going to be done, you know, with the free will of the superstar going there. Um, how do the Tigers dig themselves? This isn't a question that's for the ages, really. It feels a bit more like a Chinese proverb. But how do the Tigers dig themselves out of this hole where essentially, especially in this modern age of digital media, that poor bastard club has just become a meme, a meme for not being able to attract talent. Now, that's surely filtered into the consciousness of all these, you know, at least even mid-range, but certainly superstar players who go, do I really want to go across to a club that's become a meme? Well, I'm not sure that's, I mean, it's been fair in the past, but given that, They've just got the now Dally M hooker of the year and last year's second rower of the year are joining them next year. I don't think you can say they're a team that can't attract players. As a fan of a team who never attracts any players, they just think they can just go from in-house. I think the Tigers have actually done okay this time, whether or not they've got the 
the coaching and whether they've got the the structures in play to make the most of that situation. But I think Appy Coruscant is such an insanely huge improvement on what they've had since you know peak Robbie Robbie Farah that I think he could well lift them and having a good back rower there as well will lift quite a bit. They they only need one or two more pieces to you know genuinely be a top eight team. I don't think they will be that next year, but you know they're at least shouldn't be stone motherless last next year. I agree with you on those two players. They're two great players, but I guess it should be also noted for the record that one of them has tried everything uh, bar throwing the kitchen sink at the club to get out of the contract, right? Allegedly. He hasn't, he's never said that. He's, do we, how much are we believing the, the, the news that seems to be coming exclusively from um, Fox and Nine, who are just dodgy muckrakers making up shit, mostly about the Tigers, now occasionally about Manly as well. But it's just the usual thing of let's make up a story about the Tigers because it gets more clicks than stories about any other team. So that is every week make up stories about the Tigers. They're just they're, almost all of them are lies as far as I'm concerned. I don't read them because I just think they're a complete load of crap. Mm, but can a lie be a lie if it's unread? Back to the old Chinese proverb. But look, I, I agree with you on the um, on the sentiment that you know those particular news agencies make up a lot of. Um, stories and they're in the business of muckraking. But I have seen the uh, live footage of Isaiah Papalehi being posed that question on a couple of occasions, and it doesn't look convincing. It didn't look convincing. It wasn't as though they were, um, you know, that he was definitely saying, yes, I'm trying to backflip out of this contract. But they were sort of, he was sort of lending tacit support to the idea of him not going. You're right. And there, it was that sort of a feeling. But uh, I just suspect that might just be him not being a media savvy person and just honestly not giving a lot of thought to his answer. It's just kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm just playing this season, you know? Yeah, fair and that's, cool. yeah you could be that, right. That's all his focus is, I reckon. Yeah, you might be right on that. We'll, we'll be, um, you know, reading too profusely over the, the uh, tea leaves on this one. Look, this would be hideously ironic if we did this. I almost want to do it for sheer comedic value for us not to talk about the grand final and what we think will happen. But um, I think it's getting to the pointy end of the podcast where we should actually talk about the main event. Um, and, of course, that's Robbie uh, Williams' performance in the AFL Grand Final where he, for some reason, decided to dress as a giant bloody tampon. It was a, a strange performance. So really, I'm talking about the NRL Grand Final. I want to get some predictions, gents, about who you think is going to win, who are going to be the influential players, and maybe some score predictions, but we'll leave that to last. Um, look, I'm going to kick off here, right? And I think it is my heart saying this. Um, because obviously I see uh, the Penrith Panthers at this stage a little bit um, aligned in my head to the Third Reich. Uh, they do seem a bit like the armies of darkness. Um, and so for that reason, I don't want them to win. So I know my heart has a role here, but I genuinely think that Parramatta have a chance of winning on Sunday. I think it'll be close, um, but I'm actually going to lean the way of the Parramatta Eels. I think they, you know, you can never underestimate that narrative, that idea that, uh, you know, they haven't won, what is it, since 86 or it's been a long, long time. And just feeling that weight of history on their shoulders could be that little bit of extra motivation on the day. And I have to say, the storyline around Nathan Brown being brought back into the squad's amazing. It has shades of Paul Osborne, doesn't it, Mario? Oh, I mean, there's potential for it too. There's also potential for him to get you know sent off within three minutes of coming on because he's <laughs> so fired up, desperate to prove himself. Hey, fuck you, Arthur. Why didn't you pick me all season? I'll show you. And I'm going to get out there. I'm going to hit this. Oh, there's James Fisher-Harris. He's the biggest guy. I'm going to hit him as hard as I can. Oh, shit. His head's on the ground. <laughs> I think I'd respect Nathan Brown if he did that. If he just went out, I'm going to hurt and maim people in the first three minutes of getting on just to make a point to Brad Arthur. I mean, I can totally see it happening, and I am here for it as a spectacle, but I don't mind James Fisher-Harris, so if he's going to do that to someone, someone who annoys me a bit more, like Liam Martin, you know, take his head off, <laughs> just because of how he performed in Origin 3. Xander, what do you say to... I'll first get your reaction to the recalling of Nathan Brown into the squad, which is quite an extraordinary development, given the fact that he hasn't played for most of the season, and there has been... Uh, uh, I guess Bryce, Bryce Cartwright's been in that position on the bench. He's come in uh, I don't even know what his match fitness is like. Um, there was rumours of bad blood between 
Nathan and the coach, although the club denies that. How do you see the move? Do you think it'll be effective? It's it's worrying. I mean, like he he was he he's played some really good footy for for Para. Um, so maybe it's um, yeah, based on uh, based on 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 uh, what he's done for them up up to now. But yeah, it's, it seems a big risk at this stage. Uh, I don't know how it's going to go. I do think um, fundamentally, as the as a game, Penrith just looked incredibly strong and like they played Para in the first week of the finals and they were just. Uh, head and shoulders above them, far more clinical, far more hungry. Um, you know, we we often say that uh, within a final series, or if if teams play each other twice, um, you know, sometimes it's a losing side that uh, learns more out of it. I don't know if that's going to be the case for this one. I'd love to see Parramatta win. I do. I do like the romance of them not having won for what since 1986, um, and think it would be great for for the game if if they were to to win and get one up on Penrith, just because I think. That also spices up the rivalry more. Um, and Penrith are a great side that are going to be around for a while. Uh, so, yeah, I'd like to see Parramatta win, but the Brown decision worries me. And I, I just think I just think that um, Penrith are, are just too good across the park. I think my only counter to that would be he's replacing Bryce Cartwright, who could only be considered the biggest risk of anyone <laughs> to have ever worn a jersey. Um, so, I mean, I think it's a calculated gamble that I have a sus- I suspect will pay off. Um, he was incredibly what, what good form before he, before he was out, right? So, yeah. Well, so one thing that Nathan Brown uh, has always brought, which is just like sheer brutal passion, uh, which you know, in grand finals in state of origins, those kind of things usually. Um, benefit you, although he, he wasn't necessarily uh, very impactful when he was brought into the sky blue momentarily. Um, so that's probably a bad example. But in a grand final, everything's a little bit different um, in terms of how it's ref. Usually it's a little bit looser. Um, I, that might worry me a little bit from Penrith's point of view too, because when things get a little bit looser, um, you know, you can pressure Nathan Cleary. And we all know mm. that, uh, you know, from those the most recent origin series that, you know, if you, if you harass him and you're allowed to play a little bit outside of the lines of the rules, um, you can put him off his game, and he's not as methodical as he would normally be. And Parramatta um, have been the side that have done that to Penrith the most. And um, look, as, as, as Joey John said in um, in the wash up of the, the the Friday night game, you know, he said he, he made the comment that uh, Parramatta seemed to play a style uh, that troubles Penrith. That, that was, of course, interpreted by South Sydney fans at the. The, the Saturday night game against South was already done and dusted and they were all cred- incredibly insulted. I'm sure it's going to feature in the Book of Feuds next year. Um, but, uh, you know, it's true, though. They do. They they play a style that, that have troubled Penrith. I do think Penrith are the strongest side, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can they can regain some of that troublesome form that's caused at Penrith uh, so many worries. Mario, what about score predictions, mate? How do you see the game going? I see half-time Parramatta will be leading 8-6. With uh, a late Penrith try, similar to last week, um, getting them back in the game, and then Penrith will probably win it, say, twenty-four or twenty-two to eight. That Parramatta won't score in the second half. I I hope I'm wrong. I'm I think there's part of me that wants Parramatta to win. I I like more of their fans on Twitter than I do Penrith fans. There's, um, certainly there's a few Penrith fans that I quite dislike and shout out to the people that I hate, but I'm not going to mention you by name because fuck you and you're not listening anyway. Um, but at the same time, Parramatta not having this 36, 37, 38, 39-year drought would be really bad news for all of us because it's fun and mm. I don't really want to lose that fun. So I think either way, either result, we all lose and either result, we all win. It's it's good for the mm. game though. Like I mean, the, if if Para win, it takes the tally up of of teams that have won the NRL. Um, I think what from twelve to thirteen, um, leaving only the Warriors, the Titans, and uh, I think yes. the Raiders who haven't won one in the in the NRL era. Whereas in the cursed in the cursed sport, I imagine there's probably only about seven or eight of their what, eighteen teams have actually won anything and. In that same period of time, would be yeah, my sur- guess. Surprising, surprisingly, they've um, they've got more dynasties and and fewer champions, despite having both a cap and a um, a draft. So yeah, it's it's an interesting 
you know, I'm not sure if that's just down to the way that the, the game is structured or if, um, the higher attrition rates and, and physicality there are making it harder for teams to, to stay together or whatever. But it's it's interesting when you look at that because it's true. I've, I've checked that out before and they, they've had far more. I think, yeah. I think it's down to the, um, the tame media that the AFL enjoys where the AFL media in particular is forced in effect to sweep everything under the cut under the rug and the sort of stories that broke the other week are by non-AFL journalists because mm. actual AFL journalists won't dare report that stuff so with their salary cap I suspect there's a lot more rotting in AFL than even goes on at the Roosters look well, that's I, saying I, something isn't it because... I I um I I take from that Mario, that what you're saying is that the the game is entirely above board, and um, I just can't agree with that. I knew you were going there, <laughs> Mario. Um, you were just pointing to Parramatta's drought before. I think they yeah, they haven't won since 1986. Um, at the time, you were only celebrating your 30th birthday. What what, what were your memories of that time? Well, 1986 Grand Final was the first game of rugby league I ever watched. Um, Jeez, at the age of 30. I, Oh, you're so funny. And I remember <laughs> cheering Parramatta, I think just because I liked their colours better at the time. My family were not rugby league people. No one was interested. But we were visiting some friends, family friends, and they were watching. So I sat there and got into it. And Lovely. then I very quickly decided not to be a Parramatta fan, though, because, ugh. <laughs> but it was fun. For that one. It was fun for that one, you know, one day. It must be a, a weird feeling, I suppose. Uh, being a Parramatta fan where, say, you lived through that time, and um, I'm not talking about you here specifically, obviously, Mario, but, like, where you were fans of them during their heyday, thinking it's dominating the 80s, that I've got so much more success to come, and they haven't won one since. It must be an odd feeling for the sort of older Parramatta fan that's, you know, lived through that heyday. Yes and no, because the the older ones were used to their complete mediocrity since, what was it, 47 that they entered the comp. You know, they they won absolutely nothing and they just sucked for very, very long periods of time before the 80s came along and they actually won those four titles. And then they've gone right back to, to normality. I mean, they haven't sucked that whole time. They've certainly had some good teams who should have won more than they did. You know, 1990, uh, 1999, was it? 2005? Was it 98? 2001. Yeah, 2001, of course, 2005. There's certainly been some very good Parramatta teams and they haven't won shit. And long may Mm. it continue. I feel like I've been Xander Risotto'd and you started to reference 1948, um, the record book. (laughs) It's good to have two people on the pod who have an encyclopedic knowledge of rugby leagues in history. You're the one, you're the person tonight who not only instituted rugby into the conversation, but then (laughs) Hitler as well. And and even worse, he's the one who first mentioned the AFL for the record. (laughs) My house of cards is coming tumbling down. Um, Guys, I am uh, struggling to keep my eyes open, so I think we're going to wrap it up pretty soon. Um, But yeah, you've given your predictions. I think for my, uh, to finish off, we should go with who we think the Clive Churchill medalists will be. I'll start with you, Xander. What are your predictions for the MOM? Come oh, look, I, I think um, it's uh, it's it's going to be an incredibly dominant performance um, from Nathan Cleary throughout the entire match. So naturally, the Delhi M will probably go to Josh Papali'i. <laughs> you mean the Clive Churchill, right? Oh, sorry. The Delhi, sorry. I'll say that again so you can edit it. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. This That one's much better. I like it. <laughs> it. It dovetails back to our conversation about the Delhi M. Yeah. Actually, um, I, I, I sorry, assume yeah. Buzz Rothfield leaked that to you. Yeah, no, no. But yeah, no, I, I, have, I have a sneaking suspicion that, yeah, Cleary will just completely dominate the game, but then we'll have a really inexplicable um, decision where, yeah, something like, you know, Gutherson gets the 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 Clive Churchill um, <laughs> after after running a hundred meters. I strongly disagree with how that's going to go because I think the best player in the field will be either Appy or Dylan Edwards. But that because of the whole back to back Penrith thing and with all the way the media froth over Cleary, a lot of it justified. Don't get me wrong. In club games, the guy has been amazing. Um, but so I think no matter what happens, if Penrith win. Uh, Nathan Cleary will be maybe the, is it the first ever uh, back-to-back Clive Churchill winner and just before you do say hey we're going and stuff I just want to 
Men quickly mentioned NRLW. Go, go the Knights, even though I was cheering for the Dragons last week, but I did say at the start of the season that Knights were my tip to win the title, and I am ho really hope they do because I want Millie Boyle to be, I think she'll be, what, a four-time champion, her and Upton, so uh, that, that'll be a pretty exciting thing. It, but anyway, yes, also, yeah, fuck, fuck the Panthers, but they're going to win. <laughs> Thank you, Mario, for, for downloading your entire thought pattern. No, no, I, I'm going for Newcastle too. Uh, for what it's worth, um, since the Roosters aren't there in the NRLW. Um, look, for me, I'm actually I'm predicting Isaiah Papalihi for uh, the Clive Churchill. I think it'll be a, a narrow Parramatta Eels victory on Sunday, uh, partly because I think it could happen, and also partly I don't want the Penrith Panthers to go back-to-back -back, um, and equal the Roosters record from 2018-2019. Yes, I am that one-eyed when it comes to my club. It's all about the record books and holding some kind of slim prestige over other clubs. I'm petty and I don't give a shit. That's just one of my many, many flaws. Um, would you think if, if a hypothetical example, lads, if Penrith managed to pull this off and go back to back, do you see in the euphoric celebrations after the game, the players carrying uh, Ivan Cleary's infected knee on their shoulders? Only if it's detached. Well, it will be. I assume they've removed it. It seems only fair. Uh, can I just quickly say, I've seen a bit of talk this week about Dynasty. If Penrith win at, you know, two titles in a row, three grand finals in a row, um, appearances in a row, is that a Dynasty? I, I am going to say that if Penrith win and if they win the, uh, the, the New South Wales Cup, Queensland Cup, you know, whatever that's called, so that will mean they've won Jersey flag, SG ball, uh, Premier League, whatever the next one is called, and so all four grades in one season. To me, that right there is a dynasty in any case because that's probably something that'll never be repeated again. So you're going for a different definition of dynasty across all the grades, which is an interesting thought. Xander, what, how do you define as a dynasty there? Because for me, a dynasty is four grand final wins on the trot. I have a very clear definition about what a dynasty should be. Um, it's not a three-peat. You've got to go four to get the dynasty, how do you define it? I always define it as three or more. Um, you know, that seems to be how it uh, tends to be defined in a lot of sports. So, yeah, four, four, is, um, four is gravy. It's very unusual. A hundred percent. And it should be a high bar, shouldn't it? It shouldn't be, yes, we've, we've won, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, and we've also swept the Lamington Stakes um, down at the local park when it came to the Tambouli tent. Um, I don't, you know, even if Penrith was running that particular game, I don't think it should count towards dynasty. Uh, but as Mario said, if you if your club is performing across all grades, geez, you're in good shape. And that's kind of a worry for the rest of the competition, isn't it? Because that talent tends to come through. Yeah, and it, it sort of flips the, um, like, I mean, they, they've talked about this, but there was a period through the mid-2000s where they were saying, that, yeah, development, uh, you know, did, wasn't important. Um that, you know, it was really more about recruitment. Uh, but now it's the, the clubs that are successful uh, are the ones with the deep developmental networks. Yeah. I thought that was always the case. Who was saying that wasn't? Um, if I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quoting from your favourite person here, but Phil Gould uh, talks about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, you know, that was that, as a model, um, yeah, it wasn't mm. so much uh, a focus for a, a period, um, you know, having to have your own deep, deep junior systems and developmental networks. I mean, being able to recruit was the focus for a period there. Um, nice. I think that's, that's well, look, definitely um, flipped. No, I love it. Uh, look, lads, we'll probably, we'll probably end there, but look, um, let's make sure uh, we continue to record right throughout the off season. I think we've got to be really consistent and record in the off season, not so much during the season, because well, I don't know if anyone really wants to hear about rugby league when rugby league's on. We have, we have the rugby league world cup coming up. Don't forget, so we have exactly. to cover that. Well, it's not there. There is no off season, literally. Yeah, and we'll we'll um, we'll keep our powder dry on that because I think it's going to be a very interesting international comp because there's and, some very very strong teams that aren't the kangaroos. And based on around. the precedent set in this podcast, we're apparently also going to have to talk about um, the AFL's international rule series because we've spent so much time talking about AFL. I know. Well, you know what? You know the reason that was. I, I started talking about. Ted Bundy, and naturally, it was a segue to talking about AFL players because they are all sexually depraved and violent. 
but that's it for, for this show thank you very much for listening at home we'll be back soon we're recording on zoom we hope the quality is okay and we'll speak to you all soon